And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 today, and if you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring one, if you don't have access to one on your smartphone, um, you'll see we have access to to many, and so I think um, Jazz has probably passed a couple of those out, Um, but we always want to keep repeating ourselves in this particular point. If you don't own a Bible, not that you just forgot yours, but if you don't own one, we really want that to be our gift to you. We really want God's Word uh, to be in your possession, not as a souvenir, um, but as a tool, as, as something that we try to live by together. And so even more so, if you know someone who doesn't own a Bible, who doesn't have access to a Bible, would you take one of those blue Bibles, would you give it to them uh, and make it our gift to them? We, we want to do that as, as often as we can uh, to put the Bible in people's hands. And we will be picking up where we left off last week in Acts chapter 4. Um, Acts chapter 4, looking at what it looked like at the very beginning to follow Jesus, and to walk in His footsteps. And so for the last few weeks, we've looked at how there's a particular theme or something that Jesus taught to people, something that Jesus passed on to His first disciples, the apostles, and they simply began repeating it. They simply picked up where Jesus had left off in teaching them and started passing it on. And they just were walking in Jesus' footsteps. Out of a radical loyalty to who Jesus was and what He had accomplished, They simply mimicked him and they emulated his behavior, beginning with what he taught and what he shared, especially, for instance, we saw in the first couple chapters about a radical understanding of new family that God gives to us, a new kind of family that even sticks closer than our biological family, so much so that Jesus will say things like, hey, if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to hate your father and mother. You've got to be willing to even abandon them for the sake of loving me and valuing me. That's how amazing this is that God has called us to be a part of what he's been doing in Jesus Christ. And that's the kind of loyalty and love and devotion he wants from us, which is a radical and crazy new understanding of family. Also, we see this radical understanding of the power of Jesus' name. And so as Jesus walked around healing and forgiving sins, so also the apostles in Jesus' name begin to proclaim the power that comes from even believing or considering to believe the power of Jesus' name. And then also we see these apostles given this amazing power of the Holy Spirit to heal people in Jesus' name. And so they're simply walking in the footsteps of Jesus. They're not doing anything new. And I would argue that we today, together, aren't doing or trying to do anything new. In fact, we're trying as hard as we can to do things that are very unoriginal. We want to have a deep, deep loyalty to being unoriginal every time we get together. Instead of coming up with something new, we always want to fall back to what Jesus has done, what Jesus has taught, and what he passed on to his followers. And the best way we do that is to emulate what we see here in Jesus' first followers. So we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 4. We're going to overlap a little bit where we left off, where a couple of guys, uh, that is Peter and John, were walking around and they gave a man the ability to walk after he had been paralyzed and unable to walk his entire life. And they did so in such a way that sounded almost exactly like the way that Jesus had done it. And so they've healed this man and a lot of people are excited about it. But just like following in the footsteps of Jesus will lead you in the same places that Jesus ended up, as Jesus' popularity grew and grew and grew, those who became offended and those who became upset by what Jesus was doing, those who especially felt threatened by what Jesus was saying and doing and teaching, began to get angry. And so while it's awesome what God really is doing 
through the people who are radically loyal to his son Jesus. It's also very costly. Not everyone loves it. So beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 4. And this is about Peter and John. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. That is that Jesus was not dead. He is alive and faith in him could lead to follow in his footsteps and eternal life just like him. Verse 3, and they arrested them. So they weren't just annoyed. They took the next step. They arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day. For it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed it. And the number of the men, not counting women and children, just the men, the households, the families represented there by men, number, the number came to about 5,000. Verse 5, on the next day, their rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. And all were of the high priestly family. These are high, highly religious priests who lead people to know and understand who God is in a particular way. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? That is, by what power, by what name did you heal this man? And then Peter, again, not filled with arrogance or filled with good ideas, it says in verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man and by what means this man has been healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has now raised from the dead, it is by him that this man is now standing before you well. And so, the first thing I want you to see is they have an opportunity to build up some fame for themselves. They've just done something that's gotten the attention and changed the minds and beliefs of at least 5,000 people. And this is following the few thousand that already we have heard about a couple of chapters before that saw the mighty works of God and began to believe in the power of Jesus' name in chapter 2. And so a whole crowd of people are excited about what they just saw. And Peter and John have the opportunity to set up a merchandise booth, right? Where they can sell t-shirts with their pictures on it. They can sign autographs. They can get book deals. They can build a little kingdom, a little bit of a nest egg, a little bit of fame and fortune for themselves. And instead of taking that opportunity to take credit for this amazing thing that God has done, the first thing they do is they want to make sure that before they even begin to explain what has happened, they want those people who are upset to know that if they're going to be angry, if they're going to be mad about what happened, then they're not going to be mad at them. They're going to be mad at Jesus. Because it was only Jesus that gave him the power to do it. It was only the name of Jesus by what he's accomplished, what he's done for them, and the power that is now in his name that they were able to see miracles accomplished. And I I point that out. That seems like an obvious thing to highlight. But I put that out there because the temptation for whenever God does amazing things around us, the temptation is to let our own human nature kind of grab hold of that thing and want to somehow steal some of the credit for ourselves. 
And so my prayer for you, my prayer for me, uh, my prayer especially for what it is that's going on, where this connection church that God is bringing to life, is that at every single moment, no matter what happens, we will only be able to give God credit for every good thing that's happened. So much so that at the end of the day, when we look back and we go, how did that happen? And you ask yourself, even at the end of the day, why are we, why, why are we at this elementary school today? Hopefully you won't be able to put a name on it other than Jesus. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe someone has shown kindness to you like some of you have shown kindness to me. And maybe that's like uh, an entry into the doorway. But notice that the first thing that these people wanted the leaders to know is that it was Jesus that did it. And I hope my prayer for you and I is that we never get in a position where we can begin to kind of take credit and pat ourselves on the back for something that Jesus did. It seems like an obvious thing to point out, but the Bible tells us also that there's a way that seems right to us. Like if we could get together and we could come up with all our best ideas, we could brainstorm and have a think tank and all of those best ideas that would seem right and good to us, the Bible tells us will ultimately lead to destruction. Because God's ways are ultimately not our ways. And so even our best ideas if they're not inspired by the Holy Spirit, in order to give Jesus the glory for what He's done for us, will end up actually harming and doing more damage than good. So I throw that out there. That's just a, that, that's just a side note that hopefully as you read through this, you realize it's what Jesus is doing. It's His name that, that has begun to change these people. And as they proclaim Jesus, they're not just saying, hey, if you'll drop what you're doing and follow Jesus, you'll get health, wealth, and happiness, and everything good will happen to you. In fact, they say quite the opposite. They point out a very difficult truth, which if you'll remember, this is about the fourth time this has happened up to this point. Instead of saying, hey, Jesus loves you just like you are. Don't change a thing. The first thing they point out is, hey, this Jesus, you're a murderer because you killed him. And even though that hurts, don't stay there, God wants to do something amazing with it. Verse 11, they go on, it says, this Jesus is the stone that was ultimately rejected by you, the builders, which has now become the cornerstone. So a little terminology there. The, the, the cornerstone was the, the most square and perfect rock you would set at the beginning of laying a foundation for a building so that if you started building one way off of one edge and one way off of the other, every dimension and every angle off of that would, would be proportional to it so if it was crooked if the cornerstone is off well then the, all the corners will be a little bit off all right but if that cornerstone is right then every other thing will be right and and this cornerstone apparently that god has set for your life and for mine is jesus but these people didn't receive jesus like the cornerstone the foundation of life instead they instead of seeing for who, him for who he was they rejected him thinking that they were the builders, and now God has exalted Jesus to be the cornerstone, the foundation. Verse 12, he goes on, it says, and now, not only is Jesus the foundation, but it says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if something's destroying you, if something's killing your marriage, killing your relationships, killing your life, stealing your soul, stealing your joy, there is nothing that can save you from it except the name of Jesus. You can do all the CrossFit. You can take all the supplements you want. One day, you and I will end up 
in a grave six feet under the ground, and there is nothing that anyone can do about that except Jesus. And no other name is there that kind of restoration, salvation, only in Jesus. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, I want you to stop right there and just think about that for a minute. They know Peter and John. They've seen him before. And just a few weeks and months earlier, this same Peter and this same John were hiding at their friend's house because their buddy Jesus was being accused and was set up to be crucified. And their friend Peter and John, Jesus' friend Peter and John, loved Jesus so much, were so loyal to Jesus, that do you know what they did to defend Him? Nothing. And when Peter had the opportunity to stand up for even being a friend of Jesus, he said, I don't even know the man. And he cursed him. Absolutely not. I do not even know this man. And so just a few weeks and months earlier, these same guys, this Peter and this John, were hiding for fear of their own lives. Trying to save their own necks. And here they were, completely transformed. Instead of hiding at their friend's house, they were daring the authorities to arrest them for proclaiming the name that only a few weeks earlier they had denied publicly. And now the name that they had denied, this Jesus, they were proclaiming boldly. And I, I love it. They noticed this. They noticed something must have happened. Something changed. Verse 13, it says, when they saw the boldness in Peter, of Peter and John, they perceived, and this is what I hope you're perceiving even now, they perceived they were uneducated. They were not that bright. It says they were common men. These are not terms of endearment. These are not terms of adulation. These are terms that are pejorative, that are snide. They're looking down your, their nose at these men. They notice these guys are not that bright. They're not that educated. They don't have a great resume. In fact, they're common people. But they, yet they were astonished. And they recognized, not that they were special or gifted or educated, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And my prayer uh, is that more than anything else, people would see you and see me and not think, boy, that guy's smart or that girl's really bright or wow, they're really uncommon, but instead they would say, I don't think there's anything special about them except for the fact that it just seems like they've been with Jesus. Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, over 5,000 at this point. And we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, that is Jesus. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or not to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to listen to God, you must judge. This is my prayer for you and for me that these words might come out of our own mouths. In verse 20, For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God, not Peter and John. They were praising God for what had happened. 
For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And when they were released, they went to their friends and they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the nations or the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So let's pause for just a minute. Let's kind of summarize what you've just seen. These Two men, Peter and John, passed on the healing that comes in Jesus' name to a man. And instead of the authorities endorsing them and praising them, they are angry and annoyed and they arrest them and begin to question them by what power they're doing these amazing things. Because after all, these are the religious people. They're the high priests. They're the ones who says who is good and who is bad. They're the ones who, who pass on the judgment or the approval of God. They're the ones who have the power to praise, bless, or condemn the people around them. And that's the power that has been given to them to measure up the people around them. And along comes these guys who say, hey, by the way, salvation is not from these guys. Salvation is in nobody else's name but Jesus. And so if you want to be right with God, don't go to these guys. You want to be right with God, you go to Jesus. Go straight to Him. And you don't need to go through this mediator, this high priest to get to Jesus because Jesus has made a way for you to be right with God in spite of them. So this begins to anger them, but they can't deny that something awesome has happened. And so they leave them with a standing order. All right, we can't deny that this happened, but you need to shut your mouth about Jesus. You need to be quiet about Jesus. And then when they got back, they were so impressed and so, so scared by the authorities that you know what the first thing they prayed for? That God would give them the boldness to preach in Jesus' name. And as soon as they were bailed out, as soon as they were let out of jail, the first thing they did is they got together and they thanked God and they prayed that God would give them boldness to continue to disobey the authorities. And they went out and they prayed directly against what the authorities had ordered them to do. And I pray for that kind of boldness for you and for me. I pray that kind of boldness that even though it may be unpopular to follow love and be devoted to Jesus, I pray that we are regularly working against that nature, that we are praying to God that he would give us the boldness to fight our inward urge to be silent. So much so that at the end of the day, we would say just like them, hey, you can tell me to shut up, but we, we, we can't help but tell people about what we've seen and heard. We can't stop talking. 
about what Jesus has done for us. I mean, I hear you. I know we're getting on your nerves. I know this is repetitive. I know, I know you want us to shut up about this. I know you want us to leave you alone. Stop knocking on my door. Stop inviting me to a Bible study. I know you want me to do that, but here's the thing. What Jesus has done is too good to keep it a secret. So these men pray for boldness and they walk out. And so not only are they put right with God by Jesus, not only are they proclaiming it, but I want you to see the second half of this where, where we'll kind of meditate on this and maybe, maybe chat about it, reflect on it as we, as we kind of transition. Verse 32, you see the fruits of their boldness. It says that now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one, not any one of them, said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But instead, they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And then it was distributed to each as anyone had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles, Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, even he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. So there's multiple things going on. Not only will radically following Jesus and walking in his footsteps put you at odds with those who are annoyed by it and don't want to hear it, but it also will create something. It will create a team mentality, a community of people that are unified around that thing. And the fruit of it will look like what they just described. Because the people of God have been given so much, they are likely to give generously as well. And because much has been sacrificed on our behalf, it makes it easier to sacrifice on another's behalf. Notice, these people were from different parts of the world. They spoke different languages. We'll find out later. They're from different parts of the world. They're from different cultures. They didn't share with one another because they liked each other. They didn't share with one another because their personalities all meshed well. They shared with one another because they loved and followed Jesus. Their love for one another was simply an overflow of their love for Jesus. And they sacrificed what they had, not because it wasn't valuable. They sacrificed what they had because something valuable had been sacrificed for them. And so, as you hear this, and it, sound, it sounds like you, very utopian, doesn't it? It sounds kind of like an imaginary community of people. Wait, they sold what they had and they gave to one another? Well, that's, that's ridiculous. But, but I want to show you, there's a radical loyalty in Jesus Christ that can begin to change our hearts. And so, here's the way I would, I would describe it. And I want to kind of illustrate it, what it looks like for us and, and be as practical as I can. But I'll start with this. God ultimately doesn't want... Your money. Not ultimately. God wants you. God wants you in everything that is connected to you. And so if right now you've been beat up by like 
church or religious organizations to give a bunch of money, fine. Sit on your wallet today. Not a big deal. We don't want to get rich off of anyone. However, we want our lives and our hearts to be so greatly transformed by the generosity of Jesus that that kind of generosity just flows out of us. So, for example, every month um, we write some checks. We write some bills, right? We write some checks, and some of them we like to write, some of them we don't. And so there's a couple of checks, for example, um, that, that we write, and they're about the same amount. Um, one of them goes to, uh, to electricity, okay? And we've tried as hard as we can um, to, to, to start this since our little girls were born, but we also write another couple of checks that go into savings, into a mutual fund, for my daughters, one for each one. Um, my hope is it will maybe pay for a wedding, uh, but uh, it, yeah, um, we don't like to think about that, but maybe in my own heart, college. It's going gonna, it's gonna to help toward college something, right? Because I'm not ready to swallow wedding yet. Um, but <laughs> but we, we end up paying these, these, write these checks and mail them, and they're about the same amount. One of them goes to the utility company, and, and then the other two go to a savings account for my daughters. Now, now get this picture clear in your head. The a dollar amount is about the same. The checks are the same. The signature is the same. Stick it in a similar envelope with a similar stamp and put it in the same mailbox. And those checks go to their various locations. Everything about them is same. Except for my motives except for my own heart. Because when I write that check for the utilities, I, I don't know about you, but it's, it's always too high, isn't it? Even when I'm, ugh, it's, uh, how did, what? I, it's, always, it's always too much. And it always just stirs in me like, just a stinginess. Like, Bruh, corporations are evil. I mean, I don't know, it's just, it's just all sorts of things just start to spew out of me. Like, I can't, Bruh. and I I'd sign it, and it's, it's begrudging. And I love the utilities that I can pay automatically online, that it just takes it out of my account, because then I don't have to go through this process. But then, but then there's the other checks I get to write. And ultimately, I'm writing to my daughters. And, and i got to tell you, my heart is very different. I'm in a completely different place. And in fact, I'm, I'm filled with, with fear. Like, I, I don't know that this is enough. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, how, far, how far is this really going to go? I mean, if this is a wedding, I'm really, how many invitations is this going to buy, right? Or how, how, how many slices of cake, or I don't, I don't you know. What, what is this really going to accomplish? And while on one hand, I'm like, this is way too much. I'm, I'm writing a check for utilities, and it feels like it's too much, and I feel like it's a waste because I know that next month it's going to come again, and I feel like, ah, this is way too much. I, I, don't, I don't really want to do this. Isn't it interesting? I'm, I'm writing the same kind of check and the same kind of thing, and I'm filled with this anxiety. Like, I don't think it's enough. I feel like I need to give more. Can I afford to give more? Could we make sacrifices so that this check would be bigger? And so I just want to illustrate to you the difference even though the dollar amounts are the same and the transfer of money is the same, my heart is in a completely different place. 
And I would argue that our God and loving Father doesn't want your begrudging submission. He doesn't want you to guiltily part with what He's given you. Instead, in the same way that I don't want to one day passively, aggressively pass on to my daughters, like, well, I, I wrote this, I can't believe I put this money put this money aside for you. I hope that isn't the case. Hopefully, I go, man, I, I, here's this money. I, I, I don't think it's enough, but, but it's, 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 it's a gift from your mother and I, and, and it's, it's what we've got, and here it is. And in fact, what kind of a father would I be if I just like really grudgingly, ah, oh, here it is. This is, this is for you. Do whatever you want to with it. You see the difference? And when you think about that, you think about the picture that's painted of this people, I want you to consider what kind of sacrifice they're, make, they're making and where it's coming from. Because it, does it say that they begrudgingly did so? In fact, throughout this whole passage, it says the opposite. It says they were rejoicing. They were so grateful to God for what Jesus had done that they began to be filled with generosity. They, they began... As they saw the generosity and salvation that God had given to them in Jesus, they began to think, well, man, we should pass on that kind of generosity. And so let me define some terms for you that hopefully will point to the good news of Jesus. So you'll hear in, in churchy lingo, you'll hear things like, because we'll, we'll learn about this as we dig through the Old Testament, there's a theme throughout the Old Testament that's called a tithe. And that's a churchy word that you probably don't use very often, but but it's a biblical thing in which the people of God were commanded to take their first fruits, that first little bit, that first tenth, that proportion, and they were to set it aside to give to the high priests so that they could intercede on their behalf for them and for their sins. And so they gave a tithe, which was a proportion that they set aside to return to God. And the tithe came from a place in which they recognized that ultimately God is the provider. And this is especially important for like a, an agrarian people, people that grow things from the land, right? Because after all, if, you, know, you have no control over the, over, the, over the rain, over the sunshine, over the weather. And so if your crops are lost to any of those things, you, you kind of feel helpless. And so they were simply saying at the harvest time, look, God by His provision made this possible. We might as well set aside and give some of it and set it aside and, and sacrifice it because God owned it anyway. And since He's the one who gives, He's the one who takes away, He's the one who provides, we might as well set aside this proportion. And so they obediently did so. So when you hear people talk about tithe, they're talking about taking a tenth, a proportion of what God has entrusted to them, and they're setting aside for His purposes. But you'll also hear another word, and that word is offering. And throughout the Old Testament, there are many different kinds of offerings, right? There's, often there's a guilt offering. There's a, a sin offering. Sometimes there's a burnt offering in which they take something, they simply set it on fire, and they say, look, this, we're better off without this. But there's also... Not only a sin offering, a guilt offering, but sometimes there's a peace offering, as if there's, there's animosity, and so we want to offer something up to make peace. Different kinds of offerings. And, and that word we see also in the New Testament. But here's the fun part. We no longer 
give a guilt offering because God gave his son Jesus to take away our guilt. So we no longer give, hear me now, we no longer, and I don't want you to, we no longer give out of guilt because Jesus Christ has taken that guilt from us. We no longer give as a result of our sin. But instead, we are generous because Jesus has taken that sin away. We no longer give begrudgingly so that hopefully we'll be at peace with God because God already settled that for G- with Jesus Christ. And when the last words of Jesus came out of his mouth before he died, it is finished. He meant that you no longer have to give out of guilt. You no longer have to give for your sin. You no longer have to give to make peace. I have finished all of those things on your behalf. We no longer give offerings out of begrudging submission. Instead, we give and we're generous in many different facets of our life because God has been so generous to us. So there's a couple things that we define those terms. Some of you probably are really, like it scares you to death when we pass the plate here or when we have baskets to to give toward God's mission here in Sioux Falls, and that makes you uncomfortable. And all I can ask is that you would forgive us for that. I hope that doesn't make you uncomfortable, but I, I want to encourage you. That's probably because someone told you to give for the wrong reasons. We don't give because you have a debt. We give because our debt has been paid. We don't give so that it will fix us. We give because God has already fixed us in Jesus. We don't give because we are wealthy. We give because we recognize before God we are incredibly poor. And that which we have is already a blessing. I want to encourage you, man, that this is something that my wife and I pray about. Every, we, we want to give a proportion of what we make to Connection Church. We also want to be generous and give it to missionaries we know, to people, kids who want to go on mission trips. I mean, we, we want to be generous, not because we're rich, but because we know that God has entrusted with us with something. And so when I ask you to do the same, I'm not asking you to do it for my benefit. I'm saying that God has given us a mission, a task, directly related to the message and the good news of who Jesus is. And so we want to give generously, not because we're rich, but instead because we know that God has been generous to us in Jesus. Well, this is a process. God pries our hands loose. As we're learning in, in, in small groups uh, the last couple of weeks, God, Jesus comes to us and he pries our hands loose of the things that we would rather have instead of him. And it painfully, piece by piece, begins to loosen our grip on those things that we would rather have than him until finally we would rather have him than anything and we let go of the things that used to keep us from him. And so I, I point that out, and that may seem like a waste of time, but I encourage you, man, that this is, this is why we give. This is why we have an offering, because it really matters. There's a very different state of the heart when I'm writing a check to pay bills and then when I'm writing a check to express my love and gratitude. 
when I think about that, when I think about like what got me into the predicament where I owe money to a utility company, it's like, oh, well, that's your fault. But when I think about the predicament of having two beautiful little girls, holy smokes. Like what, why would God look at me and go, yeah, that's the guy I'm going to trust these two things to? Are you kidding? And when I realize God's generosity to me, it's much easier to respond in generosity to others. So I, I point that out there. There's, there's a state of the heart that's very different here, isn't there? Then these people were paying down debt. And so I, I throw that out there. We pray that God would change our hearts so radically. We would love Jesus so selflessly that we would begin to let go of the things that we think we possess, begin to see them as God's, and share them with one another. And when someone, just like this, when we say, hey, let's do this together, we go, yeah, let's do that. And when someone comes to us and say, hey, I'm in need, you'll say, you know what? I was in need once. And Jesus saved me. Maybe I should let go of this thing to help. This is a process, and I throw this out there so that one day maybe we will look back. And I can already, I don't want to brag or throw anyone else's name out there publicly, but let me just say that some of the strangers around you, maybe you don't know, have shown incredible generosity when you're not looking. There's some people in this room who have made sacrifices on behalf of some others in this room. You don't know about it, but I want to encourage you, this kind of thing is already happening. It's already happening. Now, I'm going to leave it to them, whether or not they want to share it, um, but I just want you to know that as you look around, there are people already being generous. There's some of you in this room who are already making sacrifices in order to support the gospel going out through Connection Church, but also to support some of the people around you that you love. I've seen guys throw off their days off to go help some people move. We're not great at it. It, it, it takes a lot of work to do it. But I've already seen the fruit of this. So I want to encourage you, this is already beginning to happen. And our response, I believe, is a radical loyalty to who Jesus is not because we all look alike, not because we all talk alike, and not because we're all perfect, but instead because Jesus has done something. I don't want to let my words get ahead of my mind on this one, but I heard it put this way, that there was a man who was blind and he was deaf and he was loyal to a particular church and someone communicated to him a question, why are you a part of this church? You can't hear the music and sing and you can't hear the preaching of God's word. Why are you a part of this church? And this man who was blind and deaf communicated back, I want all the people there to know whose side I'm on. What a, what a powerful illustration. That we're not here just because we're bored on Sunday, but Jesus has done something. And as we interact with one another, we begin to realize whose side we are on. That we're here not because we're special, but because Jesus has done something awesome. And we celebrate what he has done, not what we do. So our response is going to be different. We will do this on a regular basis, but we want to celebrate that by, what, by, by marking the occasion of what Jesus has paid for us. And we want to do so by taking the Lord's Supper now, this is for people who, who consider themselves a follower of Jesus. 
Uh, if, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian, and if, if you're walking in that, this is for you. This is a very simple way in which we take the, the bread and we say that in just the same way that, that this bread, there was a wheat plant that is now dead so that we can enjoy this bread. So also there was a man named Jesus who is now dead so that we can enjoy life. We want to enjoy that together. We take the juice or the wine and we take that and we say in the same way that there's a grape plant that is now dead so that we can enjoy this, there was also a man named Jesus who is now dead and his blood was poured out of his veins for you and for me. And so as I say, hey, we're all, uni- we're all unified here together, it's not because you agree with me, it's not because you agree with the people around you, it's because Jesus has done something and called us together. And we celebrate that. And so in a moment here, I'm, I'm going to pray and we're going to return and we're going to start to worship again. And as we do that, I encourage you, you're going to go to the back and my friend Brian and Emily are going to serve the, the bread and, and, and the juice and you'll take, they'll break off a piece just like Jesus' body was broken for you and they're going to hand you a piece of bread and you'll dip that in inside that cup of juice in the same way that Jesus' body was bathed in his own blood before he died. We'll, we'll dip it in the juice and and you'll eat it, and it's nothing magic. It's still bread. It's still juice. In fact, there's an option for some of you, if you want gluten-free, um, tell Brian that. He'll make that happen. You'll have a separate little thing just for that. But th- there's something that's real and powerful that's taking place there. We are taking into our lives what Jesus has done for us. It's the reason we do what we do, and we preach what we preach, and we believe what we believe. But you also see there's a basket here and there. And so if you filled out some of your contact information as a visitor, would you drop it off on the way out of here today? And for those of you who are going to give generously, do so. Not begrudgingly, not out of guilt, but do so because Jesus has taken away our guilt. Don't give because of your sin. Give because Jesus has taken that sin away. Don't make a peace offering with God or even with this church because Jesus has already made peace with you and with this church. So we simply give as a response. So I want to close this in a word of prayer um, and then as we begin to worship, um, I want to direct your thoughts to to one of the first churches that celebrated uh, this same thing that we're going to do. Again, we want to do things that are unoriginal. We want to do just what the first followers of Jesus did. And so uh, Paul told a group of people, the Apostle Paul, he told a group of people this, this thing, this, I love this unoriginality in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. Do you get that unoriginality? I'm just giving to you what God, what Jesus gave to me. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Now do this every time you eat it, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, and after the supper, he said, this cup is the new covenant that's in my blood. So now do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we eat the bread and we taste the juice, We are proclaiming that this is why we are here. Jesus has died for us. But here's the challenge I'll throw out to you. It says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. 
So let a person examine himself, and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment or condemnation on himself. And so as we begin to worship together and respond, um, I, I'm going to throw that challenge. Stop for a minute and consider what it is that Jesus has done. And if maybe you're not in a place where you feel comfortable taking the body and blood, no judgment. In fact, there would be more judgment if you, you did so in an unworthy manner. And so as we reflect on that, we're going to sing together and celebrate Jesus together. And as we sing, feel free to move at your leisure back to the back and, uh, and take part in that. Uh, but if that's not where God's leading you right now, if that's not where your heart is, stay where you are. Just praise Jesus. Sing to Jesus. Time will come when your heart is right to do that. But don't drink and heap judgment upon yourself because you haven't got your heart right. Because after all, my relationship with the utility company and the check I write to them is much different than my relationship to my daughter and the check I write to them. God doesn't want to be your utility bill that you begrudgingly submit to every day. God wants to be your source of life that you happily return thanks every chance you get. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are good. We thank you so much that you are merciful. Uh, We thank you so much for what you've accomplished on our behalf. And we pray that uh, this time that we set aside would just simply be our response to that, that we would see what you've done, uh, and we would just simply respond accordingly. So we want to praise you. Uh, We want to respond by giving thanks and singing to you because you deserve it but we also want to respond by celebrating the sacrifice that you've paid for us. So as we uh, have a chance to celebrate the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, would you begin to put our hearts right and in the right place? Would we begin to remember the sacrifice that was paid for us? And as we eat this bread and we celebrate this juice, May we in our hearts proclaim the good news of Christ's death for us. That our debt has now been paid. That our guilt has now been taken away. And peace, peace that can't be explained, that passes all understanding, has been given to us through Jesus Christ. So in these moments, help us to turn our hearts to you as we begin to worship and respond begin to draw our hearts to you, take away all the guilt and sin, the grudge, and replace it with just a heart of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.